The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past, and it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. Uh, we are here today with Natasha Malai-Hollow, and uh, she is CEO of Wiser, um, but she is a a serial entrepreneur, but very, very successful. So we're really happy to have her here today. So, Natasia, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So let's start off by telling the audience a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. Um, so my journey started, I actually, you know, I never planned on being an entrepreneur. And I was actually on a panel earlier this week in Chicago, and they asked me the same question. I said, you know, that entrepreneurship kind of found me. Um, I was in, I graduated with a legal studies background major when I was um, an undergrad at Berkeley, and then worked in corporate law for three and a half years, actually corporate and intellectual property law. Um, and I kind of um, fell in love with IP and the tech side by being in, you know, patents and things like that. So um, ended up going to Georgetown for law school. And then my first year came up with this idea for a social network, um, you know, an app to find local information and kind of became obsessed with the idea. And so after my first year, I decided to, you know, I couldn't do both. I couldn't be a law student. And I couldn't be an entrepreneur. And so I chose being an entrepreneur. Um, I raised a little bit of money and that was enough for me to say, okay, I'm like leaving law school. And so kind of jumped in there, went into an accelerator program in Arkansas and then just never looked back. Can you tell us a little bit more about that company? Yeah. So the company was called Suligan. The idea was around digital word of mouth. So for example, um, whenever I go out and about in the city in, you know, I go to a restaurant or I see something cool in the city, like I'll post about it on Facebook or on Twitter and the people that are following me or are friends with me on Facebook, they generally are people that I know, like friends and family. And those people are not necessarily the same people that would benefit from my updates about the city because they don't live in the same city as I do. Um, and so the idea for this network was that you could post things and it would be automatically sent to everyone around you, like based on geolocation. It was like very hyper local. And so, you know, again, like the, the vision was really that as you're walking down the street and you want to go to Subway, you just look down on our app and you would see like su someone at Subway just posted oh, you know, the line here is really long or the service is really bad and you could avoid it. You could just kind of go directly to another place. And it was like this idea of like open communication with like the people around you without you necessarily having to be friends on Facebook or follow each other on Twitter. And how long did you do that for? Three and a half years. And I think, you know, the, the problem with that company um, was that it was really – it was around, we launched it at a, at a time where social media was like really saturated. And the moment somebody heard that we were another social media app, they were like, oh, I don't need another social media app. I already have Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter. And so they weren't really as open to another social media app. And I think it was a little ahead of its time in that like 
a lot of the technologies around hyperlocal and stuff was still developing. And so it wasn't as good as it would have been had we launched like, you know, later. Um, the interesting part is that earlier this year, Microsoft launched an app that was almost identical to that app. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think that kind of serves as pretty good proof of concept, though, after the Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, so tell us about your, your newest endeavor. So I'm currently um, working on a startup called Wiser. Um, the, we make customer, the easiest thing to explain is that we make customer feedback surveys that look and feel like games. So we make it really fun, fast, and easy for customers and consumers to provide feedback to companies. Um, all of our surveys are under 60 seconds, and we can do about 25 questions right now under 60 seconds. That's impressive because that, that's information that's crucial for uh, business success for the bigger companies. Uh, yep. But I know as one of the people who's often targeted for these surveys, I hate doing the surveys. Hate yep. them. But if it's a game, <laughs> I, I love to play. So Yeah, I think, exactly. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. So how, how have things been going with this business? Oh, man, it's been great. It's just like it's so when we started it, um, Two years ago, we were in a business program, an accelerator program out in New York, and we came in as the first company. And during the program, the director, the one of the investors of the program, you know, basically was like, hey, I really don't think you this company is going anywhere. You guys need to start a new idea and so or a new company. And so um, I started Wiser within that 24 hours, and within also that 24 hours, we signed our very first customer. Like this mm. is before we even had a name for the company. We didn't, you know, we didn't really know what it was going to do. But um, someone that owned like 60 restaurants walked into that office, our office that morning, and you know, everyone pitched an idea, and I pitched the new idea, and he was like, "I love that. How much does that cost?" And I threw out a number he was like yeah that's great and so we signed our first customer we didn't even have a name yet and so it was pretty cool and I thought you know this is I think we have something here because we literally just made more money in <laughs> one day than we did in three years the other company yeah so. wow wow that's cool so then after that it was just off to the races yeah yeah and it's Wiser's grown pretty quickly um you know within like three months we were on a lot of the new york list for like the most disruptive technology or some of the best you know best startups of new york list and things like that and so um and eventually we moved back to california and worked there which is where i'm from um and then moved around a little bit then last year we got into the brandery accelerator in cincinnati and ended up you know, moving into the program, moving to Cincinnati for the program, raised, you know, our seed round here in the area. And so we just stayed in the area. Very nice. So how would you say your, your ability to negotiate has helped accelerate your business success in, in either business? Um, well, for the first, you know, for the first startup, I don't really know if there was much negotiation, but with the second startup, what I've realized is that um, we, we have a very, high standard and we have a very and we have we've come to a place that um we're able to kind of stand our ground and not really uh i guess um what's the word that i'm looking at kind of be persuaded or you know sway on our decisions around what we believe in and so we try to negotiate you know fairly and, and justly and 
whether it's like a client or a partnership or an investor. And sometimes it's just not, a, if it's not a fit, like if they're not willing to negotiate and not willing to come, you know, to a, a middle ground, like we just walk away from the deal. And and I'm glad you said that because that's one of the most important skills to have in a negotiation, the ability to know when the deal isn't for you and to walk away. Right. Yeah, that's right. great. Can you give yeah. us some? Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to actually give you some examples. Oh, like, perfect. So, yeah, um, earlier in 2015, like we literally had like run out of money. We had like, you know, we were like, at the end, like we had no money. And um, we had a deal from an investor for half a million dollars, like it was 500000 And we just like, we negotiated and we just felt like it wasn't really going the right direction. So we walked away from the deal, even though like we didn't have a plan. We just knew that in the long run, it would be a bad deal for us. Um, and then the same thing happened this you know, this, uh, this recent round, our actual seed round, like we had, um, someone come in again with a deal that had a lot of things tied to it. Like that was contingent on a lot of different things. And, you know, we were willing to negotiate we were willing to kind of, um, work with the investors, but we were like, there's just certain things we can't agree to because in the long run it would hurt our company. And we walked away from that. Similarly, like we had a deal with a client, like a really big client, and um, it was a lucrative deal. Like the agreement was like a hundred dollars a response, which is like mm. crazy, right? Yeah. Like for for a survey uh, provider, like you're getting paid a hundred dollars a response. Um, wow. But the but the but the deal ended up. I mean, the the actual survey campaign that they wanted to run. You know, we can do twenty five questions in under sixty seconds, but they're twenty five hour type of questions, so they're you know, they follow a science. There's a lot of like thought put into what kinds of questions are asked and things like that. Because if you ask long questions, like people don't want to take the survey and it ruins the quality of our surveys. And so um, the client would not budge on the questions. And we just, you know, when we analyzed and we thought, and we kept trying to negotiate, we spent like months negotiating it with like trying to negotiate. And finally, we just realized when we stepped back, we realized that, you know, if the campaign runs the way they want it to run it's not going to work the way that it we know it's supposed to work and they're going to see it as a failure on our part and in the long run a failure on our part is worse than us just not taking the money no matter how much money we made in the process so um we ended up walking away from that deal as well but like a couple months later they came back and now they're running wiser exactly the way we told them to run (laughs) Nice, nice. It, yeah. It's funny. Now that's the second time you've gotten good proof of concept after the fact. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, 
We've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yep. So yeah, cool. <laughs> that's cool. So let's get into these uh, these deals. I think you, you've given some really great examples here, but I want to get deeper into them. Um, because like I said, walking away is often the hardest thing to do uh, in a negotiation, especially as entrepreneurs, because we always want to make that deal and yep. and make that money. So yeah. so what were some of those things like just a little bit more in depth? I don't know if there's confidentiality issues if not if there are just <laughs> you know we could avoid the question but what kind of things um were signals to you that it was a bad deal either of them? Yeah, so for one of them um for the investment deal like one of them was that it was tied to like a lease agreement. Mm -hmm. Um and like for a startup and a five-year lease agreement at that. So for a startup with a runway of two years, like, you know, every startup, when you raise money, usually it's to, to kind of fund your company expecting like, if you make zero dollars and you're going to fund, you know, run the operations for 18 to 24 months. So for a company that has an 18 to 24 month runway, it just didn't make sense for us to have a five-year lease agreement. But on top of that, it was, like, tied to, like, a certain size of the space. So, again, like, we're a very small team. Like, it didn't make sense for us to get this huge open office space if we weren't, you know, if we don't need it. Because now you're just giving away equity in, for early-stage startups. Like, why is there – your equity is the most valuable thing that you have. Like, it's more valuable than cash. And so um, – it was, there was a lot of different things like that, you know, was a requirement of the investment that we just couldn't agree to. That makes sense. And and it's clear that um, your ability to kind of forecast and, and look into the future played a big role in making those decisions, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, so when I when I sat down with like some other like depending on like what the background of the person was or the advisor, like it was crazy how many people had such different opinions about this because on the one hand they were like, well, Natasha, if you take this money, like you, this is another 500,000, like it would put you guys over here. Like you guys have to pay rent somewhere. You might as well pay rent and get like extra money and stuff. But then there were other people that was like, you know, if you look at it this way, you're giving away equity in like, um, because you don't need it and, and, you know, all this like other stuff. So it's, it's always like from your viewpoint, like sometimes, you know, people always tell you like not all, all money is good money and you just have to be smart about taking like, you know, the right investors money and stuff. And, and I think we made a really, it was hard definitely like, cause when you think about like, okay, $500,000, that's going to give me another like six months of runway or another five months of runway. And so, um, but when you, 
kind of step back and think about like in the long run, like if you really believe in your company and your ideas, then you're not going to be willing to give away all this equity for, you know, $500,000. I mean, technically you should be making $500,000 in the next like five months, you know? Right. I want to key in on another thing you said, you said you ran the situation by your advisors. Yep. Um, is that something you typically do when it's a, a big decision or you're in a, a significant negotiation? Yes. So I, I'll, I'll look to some experts, you know, like I, I know that I'm not, um, I'm really, I'm, I'm good in certain things, but I'm not really great in like finance and like economics and things like that. And so generally, especially with things come up in finance and kind of economics, like I ask experts or people around me that know more and are able to forecast and kind of paint the different scenarios. Um, so, yeah, I do that a lot, especially when it comes to, like, finance. Yeah. As entrepreneurs, it's always a great idea to bring in experts like you did and get, get second opinions. Uh, because yeah. a lot of times, especially if you're solo, you uh, or even if you're working on a team, you're, you're in an, an echo chamber. Everybody yep. says the same things and exactly. you hear it enough and it, it sounds good. So getting that second, third, fourth opinion is always helpful. Yep. That's good. So can you give some examples of times that you had to negotiate with people on your team, like within your organization or people close to you? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you know, as a startup, you're just, you're in a high stress situation and you're, um, there's a lot expected of you. And especially once you start taking funding and you start hiring other people, like there's a lot people look to you to make a lot of the hard decisions and you know and there was a couple of incidents where you know my co-founders and I weren't seeing eye to eye and um and I think sometimes and as a entrepreneur like sometimes people just think it's and I've seen this happen a lot to startups around me it's like people just think it's easier just to go your separate ways and it's easier just to be like well you know, especially if you're like the, the the CEO or the main founder or whatever it is, like someone like me, like sometimes it, at one point it seemed like it was easier just to be like, okay, well, I don't really want to work with you anymore. Like you don't agree with me and I, I don't really think this is negotiable. Like this is just something I believe in. You don't believe in the same thing. So I think we should just separate, go our separate ways. But like, you know, so that was like my mindset for a little bit when I first like when, it, when some of these incidents started happening, it was just like, I can't compromise. But uh, eventually, like, you kind of have to, if you're thinking about a team and you're thinking about a company, like, you kind of have to get your, take yourself out of it and think about, like, the long-term effects and, like, the long, like, what does your decision mean for the rest of the team and for the company? And, like, in that mind, and in that moment, um, you know, I kind of just, when I took a step back, I thought, okay, like, he may not see eye to eye to me right now, but that's okay because, like, it's good that people don't see eye to eye with me. Like, you know, you get differences of opinion. You don't want everybody to think the same way because otherwise, like, we're building for one type of person. And um, so I ended up negotiating and just kind of talking through, like, okay, this is what I'm willing to give up on. This is really why I'm willing, you know, what I'm willing to do. And um, I think it – like that decision has been the most productive and like probably the most, the best decision I ever made. Cause I like, I know I would have regretted that decision if I had just been like, no, I'm not going to negotiate with you. Hmm. 
And about how how long was that process? Um, it was, you know, it's. I, want, I really want to say like it. The the entire thing kind of happened over a month. Mm-hmm. So like, but it was really intense. Like the first two two weeks, and then you know we kind of settled it after a month. That's good. So you only have one partner with Wiser. I have two. Two have partners. Two partners. Okay. Yeah. Did they start with you out of New York, both of them? Yes, they did. Well, one of them has been working with me for like five years now. He was—he actually started with the first company. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And the reason I'm asking is because one of the toughest things it is, uh, one of the toughest things for people to do when they're starting their company with partners is is kind of dividing the pieces of a pie that doesn't yet exist. Right, so, right. So how, how were you able to have those those types of conversations with these partners? Well, you know, so with my first startup, like it, it didn't really end well. Like when we, when the founders and I, like we left, um, I think looking back, like I definitely wish things had been differently, but you know, it was just like, we had spent so much time and effort on the company that we were just both like exhausted and like, you know, like when something fails, you all have your reasons on why it failed. And I think everybody like, you know, there's like your side, the other person's side, and there's the, the true story of, like, what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, so, like, looking at that, I just knew that I didn't want to go through that process again. And so when I set up Wiser, you know, like, I had this, like, great idea for a company and, like, what we would do. Um, I had, like, a set of things that I just couldn't, like, you know, I mean, I guess I couldn't negotiate on like, I'm going to own this percentage and this is what, this is what I can offer you. And if you don't want to take it and I don't know if I can work on it, like we can work together. And, and in like retrospect, it kind of was, you know, maybe it was like unfair of me or, or unjust of me, but I like, I just know like what I bring to the table and I feel like it was fair and I still feel like it was fair, is fair. Mm Mm-hmm. How how did you communicate that to them in a way that it didn't seem like you were kind of dictating to them, but still making it clear that you wanted to work on a team? Correct, correct, exactly. Like I, it's it's still definitely a team. Um, but what I realized in like my first startup was that when and, and I've seen so many startups fail because of this reason. Like so, when startup founders start, they like everybody is like really excited and everybody is like really happy, but generally there's one person on that team that really started the company. Like that, you know, that that's the idea, like the ideation came, like the ideas and all that come from like all the, the vision and kind of says, and that person ends up usually being like the CEO of the company. But um, when startup founders start, they, they're always like super excited and everybody has this like feel good, like moment and, they're like, yeah, let's just divide everything together. And that division um, of like equity and the division of like responsibilities, it sounds great on paper, but when you start working, there's always one person that's gonna outwork everyone. And that's just the way that person is. And that person, again, is probably the CEO, like ended up being the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. And um, over time, if there isn't that like, division of like you know the equity or like compensation or whatever it is like that person is going to resent everybody else and because they're like well we're all equally yoked like we're all supposedly have equal responsibilities and we all have equal equity why am i doing all the work and that's how startups fall founders fall apart like 
and people call me all the time to like get their get my advice on like founder situations and at the root cause of any founder breakup is always that reason is that one person was like well i did all the work but where we have equal equity or we get we're getting equal compensation and i don't think it's fair and so when you just like assume and you know it's going to be true that there's going to be one person on that team that's going to do all like that's always at the office that's always doing the work that's just like putting in a little bit more or maybe a lot more than everybody else like you know that's just how that's how you avoid like the fights and the the stuff later right that's that's a great point it is a great point because, uh, yeah, for me in, in my law practice, um, whenever I see people come in or uh, they want to split everything 50-50, it's like, hey, write up this operating agreement. We're 50-50 owners. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's yeah. <happening> <laughs> That's the worst idea. Yeah. I um, I actually created this, um, this free course for my business law clients, um, a partnership boot camp that they can go through where they mm-hmm. kind of think through all of those things that you mentioned. Um, so they could get on the same page beforehand. Like, how? Um, what are your perceptions or and expectations of each of the owners? What are the roles and responsibilities? Oh, that's and, smart. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, what's what's funny is I have the people work through it independently, yeah. and so then they send me their responses. Then we come in and talk about it, and so. In addition to that, in addition to sending in their own responses, I have them guess what the other person is going to say. Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of times they are not close. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. Aw- that's that's really interesting. That's fascinating. That's the first time I've heard of something like that. But I think that's definitely useful. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Because um, you know, one of the things that we analyze is uh, are the values of the person. And so, for right. instance, you could have somebody who is very um, philanthropic. And somebody yeah. who's very uh, who's very power focused, somebody who's spiritual, um, yeah. you know. And so, if you have somebody who's very power seeking or money seeking, uh, linked with somebody who's more philanthropic, doing it for the community, you're going to have some serious issues coming when when money starts coming in the door. Right. Right. So yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. That makes uh, sense. So let's talk about your negotiation philosophy, just in general. What What would you say your philosophy is when you're in a negotiation with outside entities or even people within your company? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a philosophy to be completely honest. I think mm-hmm. I just kind of follow, I, I try to stick to the facts like, and, and that's really like what I, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm really good at is that I'm really open to the other side arguments. I'm really open to different scenarios and stuff, but I try to closely follow facts and what's fair. Um, in my, like, I think that's always been how I think and I, how I operate. It's just like, what's fair. Like when I, I tell the story, like, I mean, this is a true story, but like when I was younger, when my mom and my parents would buy me Skittles, like I would be the one that like opens the entire bag and divides out the Skittles. And so that everybody, has an equal share of Skittles. Like, nobody's just going to get a random, like, sample size, you know, of Skittles. But, and I think that when it comes down to negotiation, it's the same way. Like, it's just, like, you know, what I see as fair and what I see as, like, factual. Right. I like that. So this is your Skittles negotiation philosophy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So how do you define fair? Like, in in every situation, fairness is, it, it can take different 
um, different forms. And to yeah. some people, fair could look very different uh, than uh, for someone. Fair could look very different than it looks to somebody else. So, yeah. how how do you define fair, or how do you find it? Um, I, I look at the you know anything that like the supporting documents or the supporting like again like factual documents not like I don't I don't really care for opinions in my opinion like <laughs> you know like I just I just don't care for your opinion I really don't care about like what you someone thinks is right what a philosophy about like you know well this is what you should be doing and stuff like there's a contract usually in place and there's an agreement usually in place and there's a set rules or responsibilities or tasks and either you're doing it or you're not and so um and again like the assessment of whether or not someone's doing something i mean again you like look at the results like if you're actively you say you're working hard but you haven't like all the things that you're doing isn't leading us to make sales or make progress in development or make progress in design or you know like whatever it is like you're not really doing your job you're ineffectively like using your time you're just using you're spending time but you're not spending it effectively and so um i mean i i I try to like stick again to like you know what the evidence and like what's there i like it yeah that's good okay and if you had to give one piece of advice to our listeners when it comes to negotiation what do you what would it be i i think you always have to remember um, why R- remember the why right. I would say you know like I think like in, in the entrepreneurship world or startup world like a lot of startup founders like to post this like remember why you started I mean it's the same way in like negotiations it's like remember why we're even negotiating or remember why you're why you're selling this product I mean remember why you started this team like I think you always have to focus on the why because if you focus on the why then like all the little stuff the the little details um they tend to matter a little bit less because um you know like one of the things startup founders like to argue over is equity Mm -hmm. like especially with like in valuation so you know like you might be looking at a million dollar investment or a $500,000 investment or a $100,000 investment, but you're losing, and then you're looking at how much equity you lose and you're like, I don't think this is, you know, I'm going to try to negotiate and get a higher valuation. And in my opinion, that's stupid because like, you're not thinking about the why, like, yeah, there, there there's some places that you can, like, if you know, you can negotiate and it's just really like an outrageous valuation. Like if they're going to, you know, value, your company at a very low valuation and it just doesn't make sense, then yeah, negotiate it. But if it's fair, given what you have, and if you think about the, the why, like the why you're raising money is to grow the company and become better and raise your valuation, then the long run, like taking a, a maybe a smaller valuation than what you would like means that you can grow really quickly and you can progress really quickly. So, you know, I think like, definitely just always remember like why something is happening why you're doing something yeah that's that's a really great point and you know what's interesting throughout this conversation um i'm starting to kind of get a a a read on on the things that are important to you kind of like your why and so obviously growing the company that's that's one but you also have um you want to to retain the integrity of your your assessments as well Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so that's good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank for your, you. For your this was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it was. Thank you so much. You yeah. know, like I, I, and I didn't even realize that I did so much negotiations because I was like, yeah, you know, I do actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that and most people don't. Most people don't. Yeah. But that that's great. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.